Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I interview Dr. Adam Pletter, who is a child psychologist and is my go-to expert for anything related to parenting and technology. He is awesome to talk to. He is the creator of an iParent 101 series online that offers classes to parents to help them manage technology, talk about technology, and set up healthy boundaries like together as a family, which was a great idea. And he has been featured on NBC, NPR, as well as in the Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, just to name a few. But when I have a question, I go to Adam and I thought he would be awesome to have on the show because he is a wealth of knowledge. And every time I talk to him, I seem to learn something new about how I can do something or talk to my kids in a different way than I was doing related to technology. So I brought him on to talk specifically though about kids with anxiety and OCD and how to help them with technology because it's a struggle for most kids. But then when you add that component where you're anxious or you're rigid or you're compulsive, that makes technology that much harder to deal with. Transitions are hard and rigidity is hard. So I get into all of that and more with Dr. Adam. So without further ado, let's listen to my interview. And if you want to watch the interview, you can go to my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash C backslash anxious toddlers 78 because I put this interview on YouTube as well as I will with all my interviews and he does some screen sharing. So sometimes he talks about things and he pulls up his screen and he shows you and he walks you through things. So you might want to watch the YouTube video as well. All right, here he is. Well, I want to welcome Dr. Adam to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. He's got incredible expertise on technology, and whenever I have a question about technology and kids, I will email him and ask him because he does a lot of workshops and online classes and um, talks and does a lot of great information for parents on how to navigate technology. And how cool is this, the technology that we're using right now? You're in Arizona, right? I am, sunny Arizona. And you're in Maryland. Well, that's unusual. <laughs> it is. I don't know. Is. I think it's like 70 degrees out today. Too. Is it really? Wow. It's probably even cooler here. That's weird. Yeah. Anyway, well, technology is cool. Don't be afraid. Technology is very cool. So, so, and we can't deny that with our kids. I think a lot of times parents want to shut it all down and cocoon their kids and just deny that technology does exist, but yeah. it does. And I wanted to bring you onto the show to talk more about our anxious kids and our kids with OCD because they have an even harder time with technology because it, it tends to get intertwined with their, their struggles with anxiety and OCD. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I want to start with how do you know in general when a child is having maybe an issue with technology? What should parents look for in general? Well, um, what to look for in general is like any other behavior uh, that our children, I'm a parent of almost 14 year old and a, a just 10 year old this past weekend. Um, happy birthday. Um, uh, so uh, 
for like any other uh, parenting decision or childhood behavior, you know, there's times where it gets a little bit, uh, we're getting in an area where it seems to be uh, taking up too much time or too much energy, or there's a, a amount of tears that are associated with whatever the behavior is. And again, so I want to, typically I back up from it that, that it's just about the technology, that the technology is just a more complicated landscape for the parenting, for the being a child. And so how to know as a parent is when it starts to get into um, where there's a level of upset, to use a very general term like upset, when there's a a level of upset that is getting in the way uh, in in some significant way. You know, the DSM, which is the, you know, diagnostic manual, you know, would say something along the lines of if it's having significant impact on their life. And the, the word significant is basically where it's getting in their way uh, too much. Um, so I try to be very, you know, basic. Uh, and so it's really around those lines. And that's, that's a good point because I think for a lot of parents, and I know for me included, having three anxious kids, I'll use technology really as one of their coping mechanisms. Um, like with my son who has OCD as well as anxiety, he has a lot of food-related OCD. And so he can't, he can't eat because he's having intrusive thoughts. And so I'll plop his iPad in front of him and he'll eat because his mind is somewhere else. So a lot of times technology is a wonderful tool. You know, I mean, even at nighttime, you know, guided imagery on the iPad again, everything yep. is, um, can be used for good. But then you also have obsessive kids who actually just this morning, you know, he's, eating supposedly and watching his iPad and he's not getting off. He's not getting dressed. He's not doing anything. Um, or at night when I have his guided imagery on, he is waking up in the middle of the night and he's playing on it. So it, it would be nice for parents to know how do you set some restrictions? <laughs> so it'd be nice for me to know how to set right. restrictions so that you can use it for good and not for bad. Right. So again, I, I, I love those examples. Um, what jumps in my head as you're describing this as part of my iParent 101 program, I'm, I'm a child psychologist. I run a full-time private practice, but I also run these um, nationwide now uh, workshops where I travel around and I am basically teaching parents um, how to manage the digital world as parents, as digital parents. We are pioneers, at least this current generation of parents um, we did not grow up with it. We are digital immigrants is sort of the popular term. It's a new culture. It's a new land. Our children, however, are natives. They are digital natives. They grew up with it. They know nothing different. It, beyond the amazing coping that you just described and strategies that can be used, um, they're not afraid of it. They're not, there's nothing weird about it, um, which, again, is ripe for, as we were talking about earlier, in terms of some of the behaviors kids get pulled in in ways where it doesn't feel like they're doing something too much. It's just what everyone else is doing. Um, even though it is often too much. Um, if you actually just looked at the amount of time that they're doing that one activity. Um, so what I try to show parents in my workshops, both online and in live workshops is how to use some of the built-in controls. You mentioned the iPad, um, very popular Apple based product, especially for young kids. Um, it's a little bit of a larger screen. Typically, there isn't a data plan associated with it. 
um, like an iPhone. Uh, so it's really just the Wi-Fi within the house that parents need to understand that that is how the child is connecting to the internet. The iPad in particular has a, you know, um, a number of built-in controls, one of which uh, that I would recommend here um, before I forget uh, is what's called guided access. And I don't want to get confused with what you said earlier. You were talking about guided imagery through an app or something where your, your child, you know, your child is either listening to or watching, you know, sort of a calming scene and it's sort of guiding them through using their imagination, the, the imagery, right? Right. Uh, guided access is a built in Apple only, uh, uh, tool, you know, it's, and I could show you later if you want where to find it, but it's under settings, under general accessibility, learning, you know, as you click through, uh, in the iPad settings, and what a guided access does is it locks the the iPad on that one app. So once it's on that one app, you, you don't have to worry about your child at bedtime waking up in the middle of the night if they fall asleep with the iPad watching the guided imagery. It basically, the iPad is a paperweight at that point. It, you cannot turn it on without the parent's code. And so obviously oh. the child you set it up cannot know the code. And so it, it has that one app is locked in and after a certain time period that the parent would set 20 minutes, a half an hour, it clicks down, it gives the kid a warning that, okay, it's almost, time is almost up and then it shuts off. Yeah, that's crazy, crazy helpful. <laughs> I, I had right. learned that before and um, from you and I had never known that. And right. And so you can do that for the music app, right? Mm -hmm. okay. Any of the apps. It locks in any of the apps. You open the app. Once you have it set up, which is not hard to set up, you triple click the button, um, at least for the older iPads. I'm not sure about the new iPhones with the face and all of that. I'm sure then you have to look at it um, if you use an iPhone. But on the iPads where there's still a home button, you triple click it once you have it set up. And it basically you walk through a couple of screens of turning it on. You could set the time limit right from that screen, and then it's locked on that one app. So whether it's yeah. a math facts where you want your child to, um, you know, study math facts, and they're using Math Splash, or there's tons of educational apps, mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry when you then walk out of the room that they're then going on a different game or they're texting or whatever, um, because these are all in one devices, which is so amazing a one app device for that time period that the parents set up. I don't think most of us know about these things. <laughs> I think that they're yeah. out there and most of us do not. I mean, I think I'm tech savvy and I never knew that until you told me that before, which is incredibly helpful because I think a lot of times, at least in my home and I think a lot of other people's homes, I use technology um, as a for consequences so they can't have access to it because that's the currency for my kids and the the excuse is well I can't go to sleep without my music or um, I have homework to do I have to do my homework so I love this guided access that you can lock everything else down because most kids are going to have to do something on their computer or their iPad for school Right. It gets way more complicated as the kids get older and they're on Chromebooks or other devices, laptops for homework. But the iPad, if your child is using an iPad for these different functions, these different apps, the guided access, especially for young kids, is a huge advantage for parents because 
like I said, it locks it. So you don't have to worry, you know, even if you gave your iPhone to your child in the stroller while you're pushing them and they either listening to music or watching a, a short video, you put it on guided access and you don't have to worry about them calling your boss or, you know, or doing something else on yeah. it just by accident. Uh, Cause kids are very good at swiping around and way better than we are because they again, are. they're natives. They um, not foreign to them. This is their world. This is, you know, from really young, you know, two, one-year-old kids are able to swipe around and know how to get around on iPads. We've all seen it and marveled at it, but it's true. Right. Um, so, again, the guided access, just as a, I, I didn't want to uh, derail the whole conversation in that direction, but um, I just as you were describing that, uh, especially using it as a coping strategy, using the technology as a coping strategy, it limits, um, you know, where the positive and negative sort of trade off, uh, you know, when you're using it this way, but then they're off, you know, um, then they can't get off as you were describing potentially. I think think that it's incredibly helpful. So it's guided access under general settings. The time limit is really key there because you tell them ahead of time, you have a half an hour of this app and then it's a half an hour. And And then then it shuts off and you don't have to go and take it which I think is really good too, because a lot of times parents, and I think it's good for us to spend some time on this because I was going to ask you also how parents can get their kids off of their, their tablets or their iPads when it's bedtime, because, you know, most kids have a hard time with that, but anxious kids or kids with OCD are super rigid and they can't handle transitions. And the parent tends to get into kind of this um, power struggle. And so 30 minutes before bedtime, you go in there and you set this up and you say you can watch one more show or you can play one more game or you have 30 more minutes and then the iPad would just shut off after. It gives them a little bit of a prompt with a warning of you have, depending on how you set it up, 20 seconds left or a minute, you know, so they have some transition time. And I would recommend for most parents, especially of anxious kids, um, to have a learning process in place here where when they, when it clicks off they're you know, they get this amount of time tonight. If they get off without a problem, meaning, you know, they could throw the, the iPad, even though it's not going to turn on, they could have a temper tantrum and get pretty upset. If they do that, the understanding is that they get less tomorrow or they don't get it at all tomorrow. Um, yeah. and if they handle it, because it has the warning and this is how much longer and again, laying it out for them because they are potentially more rigid, laying it out for them that this is what the plan is. And when you handle this well, you'll get more, which again, fits in with the normal, at least in my opinion, parenting approach of as they demonstrate appropriate behavior, responsible, respectful, appropriate behavior, they get more of what they want. That's right. ultimately the goal. So they learn to regulate themselves more and more they help themselves feel better, and they get more of what they want over time. And I think that's great. Um, in your class, on your online course, which I think is excellent and gives a lot more tips like that, like, you know, I had a lot of eye-opening moments when I was taking your class online where I'm like, excellent. I would pull my iPad out and be like, oh, my gosh, I never knew that was there. And, I mean, right. I honestly thought I knew. I didn't think I would learn much. No offense. I was just like, mm-hmm. I know the iPad. I know the restrictions. And, and I found myself pulling my iPad and checking out what you're talking about as you're going. So it's definitely an amazing class. Um, the you. one thing I really like too is the contract. I think that's really good for all kids, but I think for kids with anxiety, no CD, they need clear expectations. 
And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how parents can make a family contract around technology. I hope you're enjoying the interview with Dr. Adam, and we'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. So again, the basic idea of the family rules contract, as I call it, uh, as part of my iParent I 101 program, is to do what you just said, to set the guidelines clearly, which helps the kids, especially kids who are anxious, you know, where, you know, anytime you know what's happening you, and you can predict, there's a predictable set of expectations, pathways go off in your brain, in the child's brain, where I sort of know what's going to happen. I've already played this through in my head once or twice. I went through the contract with my dad or with my mom, and I sort of know what they're expecting. As soon as you do that, you're already setting the bar lower in terms of the anxious response. It doesn't mean they're not going to be anxious, but the startle response goes away, Right. which often the startle response is a big part of an anxious response as a, you know, an anticipatory anxiety has a lot to do with what's going to happen. Am I prepared? Anxiety by definition, as we probably already know, if you're watching this, is a very helpful, very healthy, um, biologically driven signal in the body that there might be some threat and you need to prepare, right? That's what anxiety is. Anxiety is not bad. Anxiety is what keeps us alive. Um, it makes us, you know, from caveman time up to 2018 when we're filming this, um, you know, having a level of anxiety is absolutely a needed thing. So what we're talking about um, in terms of anxious kids is a level of clinical anxiety where it goes over that line, which was, you know, your original question to me when we first started. Right. Um, so the idea of having expectations clearly laid out is, is so incredibly helpful for kids who are anxious because they can, they have that pathway already in their brain that they know this is what the basic plan is. And it doesn't matter so much if dad's in a bad mood today or mommy is stressed um, because sometimes, you know, parents need this contract as well to rely on, okay, this is, these are the rules. This is what we've agreed on that is reasonable. And it doesn't matter that I had a stressed all day at work. These are, this is what the expectation is. And it makes it, so it makes it easier for parents of, of stress, of, of stressed out kids, of anxious kids also. So um, you know, the, I have basically, I've written articles, there's different videos out on the internet, I'm sure it could be Googled, um, on, uh, I, be, I have these five basic keys of the, of what I would expect or what I would recommend to go into the contract. So as we're talking about the five basic keys, so this is one of my workshops. Uh, so I basically, can you see that? I can. For those listening on the podcast, uh, you mm -hmm. can, if you want to see what he's talking about, you can go to my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash C backslash anxious toddler 78, because we're going to look at some screenshots of the contract. Right. So this is the basic um, contract that I talk about. And again, if you, you could zoom in on that if you want, but it, it lays out um, basically getting input from your child. It varies by age. Um, and it gives them, as I said earlier, a roadmap for more digital access. 
So when the expectations are clear and the guidelines are clear, it sets up these learning ex- learning experiences. So as um, the child does what they're supposed to do based on the agreed upon set of rules in the contract, they get more of what they want. If they don't follow the rules and they're constantly checking their phone and they're asking for reassurance in ways that are not helpful to them and uh, blurs into that more clinical anxiety where they're in that loop, then they can get less access, which then most kids are going to be motivated to get more. So this idea of helping them cope and giving them some other ways of handling things is what I would be pushing for. So here are the five basic um, keys of what I recommend. The first one is that it is an adult device that all of these devices we're talking about, whether it's the iPad or an iPod Touch or an iPhone or an Android phone or a Chromebook, out of the box, they are adult devices. And so therefore, they need to be set up um, for kids. And so that's where the other part of the program comes in, where I show people how to use the guided access um, the setting restrictions, setting up the family sharing plan, where there's that ask to buy system, um, all these different things that we could talk about if there's time later. Uh, so number one, it, it is an adult device. And what you're looking for to have in the contract, so there are, uh, you're, you're setting forth the basic guidelines of where and when the device can be used. So we're talking about bedtimes. Um, some kids, as you were describing earlier, use an iPad before they go to bed. Plenty of parents watch TV before they go to bed. They listen to the radio. This is not new. This didn't start with the digital age. Right. Um, having some sort of calming, soothing um, routine, uh, if not ritual, that they do before going to bed as a way of soothing and calming them. You know, um, as they, you know, all the noise from the day starts to um, factor in. Um, so, but. What are the guidelines around that? Um, at what time does the phone come out of the room or does it go in the hallway or mom is going to come in and take it out of the bed as the child fell asleep? Um, and so basically having all that thought through, um, what about the car? What about sleepovers? What about um, any number of, of these examples um, come to play? And this way you could think it through and again, start small. doesn't have to be comprehensive where you're covering everything, but you're setting forth this is what the guidelines are. So everyone knows what to follow. Um, Just because the parent doesn't have to follow them because they're the adult in the house. It also, as I said earlier, gives parents a basic uh, roadmap of what they should be following too. Because as we are raised in future adults, right? Not future kids. If you're texting at every traffic light, um, you know, chances are as your child becomes an older teenager, they're also going to be texting at traffic lights or while they're driving or whatever. So, you know, being aware of what the rules are and doing your best to be reasonable and following them is definitely what I recommend. Um, kitchen table, you know, in my family, I know I, I try to have a rule where there's no devices at the table. And so even if I'm alone in the kitchen and I could, I have a thousand things to do on my phone, responding to emails and responding to whatever. Um, I try not to have my phone because if my daughter walks in, um, while I'm having breakfast and, you know, and I'm constantly railing at her not to be on her phone when she's eating, I'm a hypocrite. And so being aware of that. And so again, I could be on my phone, I'm the adult, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to teach her they're learning by watching us. Remember that old Show, that, that old ad from the 1980s. I learned it by watching you. They are learning everything by watching us. So, true. Um, so um, 
how how old do you think like when would you start doing a contract? What age is appropriate? Yeah, I start really young. It could be, you know, not even with words, but with uh, a clip art where, again, it could be very, very basic and you're only putting two or three things on it. But then it's sort of it's ingrained in the young child's brain that there are certain rules that come along with this thing. And it doesn't take long for really young kids, whether it's on an iPad or it's on an Xbox or you know, they're, you know, they're pushing to get that next thing that they're hearing about. As soon as they're in preschool, I would say there should be some type of understanding. Um, and again, it will evolve over time, but there's certain things that they're going to want to do. And so I would have at least that dialogue going. And as soon as they get at least kindergarten age, where they're sort of used to papers and certain things written down, um, I would have that, that in place. So I don't want to take too much more time on this, but, okay. you know, I, I, those are the other um, three uh, keys. You know, all passwords are private and shared with parents, and we can get into that more in detail. Um, required permission to download. If you have Apple products, that's very easily set up through the family sharing. It's all, it's part of it. It's the ask the buy system. Or anything, the child, anything the child wants to download, even if it's free, that you, the child has to talk to the parent first. Yep. Love so, the that. so the child isn't just going and grabbing things off the shelf. Like, yeah. like if you went to a toy store and putting down your credit card, mm-hmm. um, that they have to talk to you and it's all seamless. It comes to your phone. You look at it. You could pull up commonsensemedia.org, which is a huge uh, recommendation that I recommend all parents get familiar with. They have reviews of everything from apps to movies. Um, if you're not sure what something is, just take it, you know, two minutes and educate yourself of what they want and why and have a little dialogue with them. That's what you want as yeah. they're getting older. You want that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ask to buy forces that, um, it's not about, Oh, I should trust my kid. You want to earn, they should be earning your trust through their appropriate, respectful, responsible behavior. So having that forced dialogue where they can't just download what they heard about on the back of the bus the latest and greatest app that's maybe inappropriate for them, they have to talk to you first. And this way you know what's on their phone or what's on their iPad. And yeah, then the well, last go, and I think should it's good be. for um, anxious kids too, because a lot of times yeah, it might be appropriate and it might be free, but it might not be good for your child because it might have themes yeah. in there that are going to, um, you know, trigger their anxiety. Right. And, and so having that dialogue, hopefully the answer will be yes. And you hit approve more often than not. But once in a while, there might be a not yet. Because yeah. what I generally say in my workshops, it, it's, it's really not a no. Eventually, if your child wants whatever the thing that they're asking for, whether you like it or not, they're going to have it. They're going to be a teenager. They're going to be an adult, in, depending on how old they are, at some point, And they're going to have it. So it's really not about no. It's about not yet. And then giving them a roadmap of this is what we're expecting from you. Uh, for you to get that next thing, whether it's you need to be 13 because all of these social media apps, you're supposed to be 13 or you're, uh, you know, you need to show us, you know, by getting off of it without us having to yell at you. Every time we get that after getting off the screen, that tells us that we're giving you maybe too much or, you know, so we've got to figure that out and having that dialogue back and forth is really the key. So they can not just seek out your reassurance in that more compulsive way, which we could talk about, yeah. but there's not that dialogue and that guidance from you um, in a way that doesn't feel like mom is always yelling at me. They're the one coming to you. 
because they have to, <laughs> because right. the mass to buy forces it. They can't yeah. get it on the phone without talking to you, which is a good thing. Right. And number five, which sort of just goes without saying, as they act older, you're going to treat them older. And again, that's not just in the digital world. That's in everything. Yeah, and I like that. Because I, I, I like the not yet, and I like when, you're, when you act older, you'll be treated older. Because exactly. I think um, anxious kids have a hard time dealing with a hard no. And so when they know that you know, it can be happening in the future, they do handle that a lot better. Exactly right. So you touched on something else that I wanted to go into, which is there is, there is FOMO, you know, fear of missing out, which, you know, we didn't even have that word um, when I was a kid. <laughs> Most parents don't even know what FOMO is. But I think kids with anxiety and OCD take it to a much higher level, especially when we're talking about our tween and teens. They're, and, you know, honestly, I feel like I have this problem, too, because as an anxious adult, I'm constantly checking. And I have so many things to check that I find, like, I get into a loop. I check my, you know, Facebook, then my email, then, you know, and, I'm, and then I, I'm roundabout. I'm doing it again. And, and I kind of sometimes get stuck. So I totally get how a tween or a teen is 10 times worse because they, they have people on social media and I don't, <laughs> you know, so what do we do? Well, and again, you have a lot of followers and you have a lot of videos and you have a lot of things that are generating a need to, to need to check most, let's say 10, 12, 13 year olds have more than you do. Yeah, um, crazy. You know, between different followers, and even if they're not legally supposed to be on Instagram, most 11-year-olds are. Again, we could talk about that if you want, in terms of how they're allowed to or why, but they are, and um, at least most are, many are. And so they ha- might have, depending on, you know, let's talk about a 14-year-old, so, so, you know, they're a little bit older, they might have four or five different social media apps that, they have several hundred, if not thousands, of different followers. They may not know these people. They might go to their school. Again, some of these large public schools, you know, there could be a, you know, a thousand, you know, kids easy yeah. um, on their Instagram feed and 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 so forth. So um, there really does become this not only FOMA, which is the fear of missing out, but what I focus on mostly in my office and in my workshop is, is the mo which is the, the missing out. They are missing out on a chronic basis. And sometimes it's no big deal. And of course, I can't be in more than one place at one time. But on the internet, you kind of can be. And you're flipping back and forth and you're shifting really quickly. Um, and you can be in lots of places all at once. Not physically, obviously, but in terms of their um, psychologically, the need to be connected and be part of things, there's a whole lot of missing out that they are doing because they're, they can't constantly be with a thousand different people. Right. Um, to add to that, and again, I'm talking normal development. I'm not even, I'm not even talking about, uh, some of the kids you're referring to might have more of an OC or OCD presentation who get really more stuck. Mm-hmm. But just normal biological childhood development, the middle part of the brain, the emotional center of the brain is highly active during these tweener years, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's actually normal um, for them to seek out more and more information, which again, when you're anxious, that's part of what they're doing. The more information I have, the, the more stable and secure I feel. 
Right. And so during these, this 10 to 15, 16 year old range, the emotional center of the brain is overly active is there, there on purpose. That's, that's how it turns through evolution um, for them to become the older adolescents, independent young adults that they need to be in the next 10 or so years, they need to be overactive in that sense to get as much information to learn how to be a young adult. That's, that's at least my understanding of um, how that works. So if you think about that, they have an overactive uh, emotional part of the brain and so sort of encouraging them to get as much information. Mm-hmm. There's an endless amount of information on the internet you know, through our phones, through all of this uh, social media and technology. Um, and if that wasn't enough, the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is sort of the control center, the regulation part of the brain, doesn't fully develop. Again, normal childhood development until they're about 20, uh, 25 or so. Mm-hmm. And so there's a real mismatch where the, the emotional part of the brain is overactive. The control part of your brain is underactive and there's an endless amount of information to be able to be sought out. And so you put all that together and there's a real recipe for our young kids to be really consumed right. um, with being on being connected. And so I, I like to explain that to parents. And even as I listen to myself, it makes me feel a little bit better mm-hmm. um, as the parent of an almost 14 year old where I, you know, I live this every day, both in my office and at home um, because it makes sense that it would be really difficult for these kids to be able to set limits on themselves to learn to regulate is an enormous task, which is why I go back to the contract. Yeah. I have a, I have a number of parents at my workshops where they might ask a question and they have an older kid. Uh, you know, 15, they haven't really, this is all new to them. The kid, the 15 year old, 16 year old has full access to everything. They have the adult device. What do they do? I get that question every workshop. Mm-hmm. And so my answer all, often is you can't put toothpaste back in the tube. And so really the best option you can do at this point would be to have some type of understanding through a contract, through an agreed upon set of rules as a starting point because they're going to be an adult in a few years. They're going to have to learn to regulate. And if they can't get off their device, they're not going to make it through college, let alone having a job in the next couple of years. So they, they have to learn to regulate. So having at least the basic guidelines of what you're expecting in an agreed upon reasonable way is usually where I would begin. Yeah. So but going back to that contract. Together. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a mouthful, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> it makes sense though. And I think just looking at the typical development, um, you know, it makes sense that this is such a dilemma. And, and I think a lot of times parents in general with technology get nervous because they don't want to upset their kids. And so some swing to the other direction where they, they really don't touch it. They, they don't set limits. They don't want to do contracts because they don't, they don't really want to upset their kids and they don't want to kind of open up Pandora's box. But I think what I'm getting from your conversation today is limits are good and, and structure and boundaries are helpful. And even in the short term, if it creates more hostility or animosity, which is totally normal when you're parenting a child anyway, long-term that is incredibly helpful and important for any kid, but even more so I think for the anxious kid or the kid with OCD setting those limits and those restrictions. And you might have to have 
ongoing dialogue. I mean, I think about my son again this morning. We had an agreement that he has to be fully dressed, teeth brushed, shoes on, and then he can sit there with his iPad. And he had been doing really well for like eight months. And he's sitting there with a blanket in his underwear, (laughs) you know, doing nothing but on his iPad, eating his bacon. And I was like, Mm -hmm. we have to go back over our contract because this is not part of the deal. So I think you're going to have to rein your kids back over and over again. But I, I like the idea of setting these structures and these limits. I think it's important. Right. We all as humans do better when the rules and the, um, and the limitations are clear. If you're driving on a road and you see a police officer on the side of the road with a radar gun and you're not sure what the speed limit is, you don't know what the rule is, I know I would be anxious. I, I would hope yeah. most people would be. But if you know, oh, it's 55 here and I'm going 50 for whatever reason, I'm fine. Yeah. You feel better knowing what the rule is. Yeah. And so I can come up with lots of analogies like that. But a lot of what we're describing here is not technology based. We're talking about raising kids in a more complicated landscape with all the technology. But it's really, I go back to the basics of setting limits having expectations clear helps us all as both adults, as parents and as, and and our kids and our, and our anxious kids, having the rules clearly defined. And even if we have to go back over them and redo it, um, that helps us to all feel more secure. My bottom line and really the genesis of my whole iParent 101 program was sort of that understanding of parenting with an ability to have enforceable limits and so if I just go back to the basic guided access that I started, that I talked about earlier, the ability of having that guided access set, you know, for 15 minutes, where after 15 minutes, um, you know, it clicks down and uh, the child uh, knows that ahead of time. You already told him, okay, he could look at the clock. He could probably see it right on the iPad, you know, how much time he has. He could start to learn to regulate himself. Oh, I only have 15 minutes left. But if I get off calmly, then mommy said that I can get another 15 minutes because really what I want is a half an hour. So, but, but instead of a half an hour, which then is going to lead me to have a uh, temper tantrum because it did last week, I'm going to get 15 minutes as a first chunk. If I handle that well, then I get another 15 minutes. And you know, so again, it's a way of checking in and and slowing the roll, so to speak, yeah. where we're not just having that anxiety build and, oh, no, I'm not going to get off uh, or, you know, I'm feeling worse because I it's clicking down because that makes some kids anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I'm going to be able to get back on as long as I keep myself under control and I'm okay. Yep. I think that's and great. Rinse and repeat over right. and over and over again. And that's teaching your child to self-regulate. Yeah, I think that's good. Which is the goal, whether we're talking ADHD, anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's so all coming from my point of view and a huge part of my uh, clinical work, and I think it's similar to yours from what I've seen in your amazing videos, huh. um, it has to do with self-regulation and self-soothing right. and kind of talking back to those anxious thoughts and um, talking back to, you know, uh, the dictator. Yeah. Um, who I refer to as Bernard often in my office. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I got to steal so, that. Right. Uh, so, so there's anyway. one, one last thing I want to touch on before we go. Um, it's actually two things that are completely unrelated, but kid YouTube, 
um, I had recently been in contact with a reporter from CNBC, and I, I don't think YouTube is obviously good for 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 any child under 13, and I think 13 and up really needs to be monitored. But I think a lot of us had this facade that kid YouTube was pretty safe. And I even thought that to some degree until I talked to this reporter and she was saying how they're having a major problem with their algorithm and yep. these, um, it will sound normal, it, but the images your child is seeing is like, could be pornographic, it could be really violent. And so you could be in the kitchen listening to your child, you know, and it sounds like they're listening to a happy, you know, Itsy Bitsy Spider song and they're seeing something horrific which is appalling to me why there's yeah. people who just do that. But what, what's your opinion on kid YouTube in general? Um, so I was really excited about uh, kids YouTube when it came out three years ago or so, um, because YouTube is, I love YouTube uh, as a, an adult. Um, but you know, that is probably the most uh, popular uh website out there and it has amazing things on there, but it's endless content and a lot of inappropriate content uh, on regular YouTube. So YouTube yeah. kids is a sanitized version. It's done by an algorithm. Um, and for the most part with really young kids, I'm um, talking, you know, infant to two, three, maybe four, um, you know, it has a decent selection of, uh, of videos that are sanitized. Um, the problem is if you have, it gives you a, a false sense of, of, of privacy and a false sense of, of security and, and safety because, as you just described, there's a ton of inappropriate videos out uh, that, got back, that got past the screening of their algorithm. It's done by a robot. It's not done by a person. And so I don't know if you want me to share the screen again, but in my you know, workshops, I have videos from YouTube kids, one in particular that I find really funny. Hang on while I'm describing and I'll pull it up if I can. Yeah. Um, because again, it, it, yeah, here it is. So I don't know if this is helpful, but um, so here's YouTube, 300 hours of video uploaded per minute. Um, amazing. Again, the, the boundaries are blurred. You know, it's, it's hard to say what, who is the target audience. Hang on. Yeah. Uh, but then endless content, no delay. I guess they got the cyber bullying. We got these, um, all these influencers now that are all over the media, um, and that our right. kids are going to learning. They're learning by watching them, mm -hmm. um, in all kind of inappropriate ways. But then you got YouTube kids, right? That's what you're asking me about. Right. You think you're safe. You think, okay, you know, this is perfect because everybody right. wants to be on YouTube. Right. So again, here, this is what you're describing. Um, Lots of inappropriate videos, right? Right. And so, so again, a little bit of disclaimer if kids, any kids are watching, you, you want to skip this part because um, you're about to hear inappropriate language. So this is go. literally from YouTube Kids. Very funny, Sesame Street and Casino with Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. Mm -hmm. Where the fuck you get off talking to people about me behind my back going over my head? What people? What people would you think I wasn't going to find out? I don't even know what you're talking about, Nick. All right, so from my okay. point of view, I I, understand. I think that's hysterical. It's really <laughs> repetitive. Um, again, as a as a dad, as a forty almost forty four year old guy, I, I think that's really funny and well done. Mm -hmm. But the way YouTube Kids is set up, it just if you put in Sesame Street, it scrolls from one 
um, video to the next. So that easily could come up uh, if, you're, if your kid is watching uh, Sesame Street. And so right. it's not, you can't just let it go. You can't just let it roll. Um, you have to be aware, pull up a very specific video, let them watch it, and then be aware, hovering in some level, where you're aware of what they're watching. You could see the screen. Can so you um, can you can you set it so that it doesn't suggest videos or go to the next video on Kid YouTube? I don't think so. I think oh. this again, it's part of how they have it, and there's advertising, you know, with it's messy, you know, you know uh, junk food and all kind of candy and you know, other inappropriate things in the advertising. So um, I don't think you can. I haven't looked at it recently, so maybe they've responded. Um, as far as I'm aware, they have not. Yeah, um, I know. Uh, solutions out there, Kid Cam. I don't know if you uh, if you saw that on the screen as my next slide in my workshop mm-hmm. there. Uh, Kid Cam with K's is a great um, that is screened by teachers mostly. Um, oh, yeah. They have it all categorized by Minecraft videos or skateboarding or unboxing videos, which are very popular. Um, Kid Cam. Option. You know, again, other kids don't want it. Uh, like I said here, about four to seven. Okay. Um, and once you get older, they don't want to know from KidCam. They want real YouTube. But, yeah. you know, young, younger kids, it's, a, it's satisfying because, you know, as long as they get their video, they don't really care. It's once they get to the older ages where, you know, they're not going to want from this. But um, right. I recommend KidCam all the time. And there's another, a number of other uh, uh, websites out there that are doing similar things um, that I could easily research and get back to you on. I, I'm not, uh, not off the okay. top of my head. Another, yeah. uh, there's more out there now. And I'll leave, I can leave links below for alternatives because I know my kids did have kid YouTube. I mean, I, I remember when I took your course, I was surprised by that video that you showed. And then I thought, well, I'm always listening to what my kids are, are watching. And so I would catch it if I, if I heard that. But then with this reporter, she was saying that, you know, they're intentionally making it sound okay. And then visually showing your kids disturbing things. And so then as a parent, I thought, okay, I can't. I can't filter. I mean, I can't protect my kids. And separate from all of that craziness, you know, anxious kids in general are impacted by things that you really wouldn't think would be scary. And my kids constantly have nightmares. And my six-year-old constantly would have nightmares based on really simple things that she'd watch on kid YouTube. And so I deleted both of them. And I thought I thought it would be World War III especially for my eight-year-old son who loves Minecraft. I mean, I thought he was going to flip out, but I did. And it was a rough hour. And then they've both been fine. So I think so sometimes you have to gauge. KidCam would be my number one recommendation. They have tons of Minecraft videos. Okay. Um, so that's where I would uh, start. And then be aware that if you're, again, eight-year-old son has an iPad and they have Safari, which is the web browser, that comes built in. Yeah, I believe that. They because can get to any of the websites. So again, you know, this might be a whole other um, uh, time that we can get together and I'm happy to go through some of this. But what I recommend usually is going to settings uh, and, and for young kids, unless you want them to have uh, Safari, for example, on their iPad, you go into settings, you go to general, you enable restrictions. This is on their device. For those that are on the podcast, he is, I just want to let people know that you're actually showing us how to do this on our screen. So So you can see this on you. Go to general, you go to settings, general, 
restrictions. You put in a four-digit code, like your last four of your childhood phone number that your kids do not know, um, and they cannot guess. You put in this passcode, and then you enable restrictions, and then you could see, I'm pointing at my screen, which you can't see, but um, it gives you all of these, um, you know, a pretty decent array. And this is all built in. You already paid for all this. Um, with the Apple products, it gives you all of these things. And with Safari, you very easily can just toggle that little green thing off and Safari then disappears from the home screen where the, it's not deleted, but they don't have access to Safari. Yeah, which I think is incredibly important. Little kids shouldn't have access to that. Well, if you want them to, then you could easily then put in your four digit code and put it back on. Right. Um, but at least it's parent directed opposed to the kids off on their own, you know, like dropping them off in Times Square and saying, okay, it's dangerous. Don't get in trouble. Right. You know, you wouldn't do that. So if you want them to have a web browser, uh, canine is what I would recommend. Canine uh, is a free, sanitized, kid-friendly, works really well. Um, free download through the App Store. You basically put that on, um, you know, turn off Safari, download Canine, and then they could have at least, you know, it's sanitized. Again, you want to be uh, supervising either way because it is the internet. Um, uh, but uh, so that, the, there's that. Um, so that's that's the basics of how to turn off Safari. Because I And I brought this up because you can get to YouTube, um, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, any any of these apps that kids are drawn to, they can get to through Safari. I've had parents say, like, you know, they don't have YouTube on their iPad, so I don't know how they would access that. And I would turn to the child and say, do you have access to the web? Oh, yeah, I just type in www.youtube.com, you know. So I don't think parents, like you said, we're digital immigrants. You know, we don't know that. We don't speak this language. We're just learning. So that's a really good point. Exactly. And there is a generation of parents that may be watching that are digital natives. You know, again, yeah. I didn't say a few years ago, <laughs> you know, we are, as we move forward, there's definitely a group of parents and I, and I work with some of them now where my whole approach is going to have to shift because, you know, in the next couple of years, more and more of parents of at least of young kids are going to be digital natives, meaning they grew up with the internet. They grew up with a cell phone or their parents may have even had an iPhone you know, 10 years ago when they were 15, their parents had an iPhone. Now they're 25 and they're the parents. Mm -hmm. And so things are definitely shifting. Um, so just to be aware of that, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to learn. Um, and my big push is for parents just not to be afraid of it and parent. Um, I think that's that's awesome. I have a zillion more questions and we're out of time. So I'll have to have you back sometime because you're just a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Well, I'm happy to come back at any point. Um, I, you mentioned earlier, you know, that you sometimes get stuck and, you know, you feel um, almost like you have a compulsive need to keep checking. I, I find it ironic. Um, I, I've purposely not allowed myself on like Instagram. Like I, I have a friend of mine who does some of the tech stuff and so she'll manage my Instagram and other things because it's just too much for me to constantly stay on top of. And similar to you, as I put on videos, I put out different things and there's a real pull. Oh, how many likes did I get? How many views did I get? How many? It's very real. And like, I can laugh at myself because I do have a fully developed, hopefully prefrontal cortex. 
Um, so I can laugh at myself and I feel the need and I could talk back to it. Our kids really can't. They don't right. have that ability. It's not, they're not developed to be able to do that yet. And yeah. so it really brings, it brings it home to me that it's, it's a very real, um, very real pull. Um, and we can get into the addiction theory and how it looks yeah. similar you know, in terms of brain scans to some of the other substance abuse and substance addictions. You know, there really is a growing uh, literature out there, and I'll be brief, on the, um, you know, uh, the, the behavior addiction of, of screen time and media use. Um, yeah. It, oh, it, I totally get it because I struggle and yeah. I need to get a friend like that <laughs> because that would really be helpful. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, there is tolerance, there is withdrawal symptoms. Again, you know, in terms of addiction language, you know, uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot to, uh, that we need to understand more. Yeah. Um, not exactly on topic of what we were talking about there, but I think it, it is connected to um, the compulsive need is not pure anxiety-based compulsion. Um, it certainly is some of that. And, and mm-hmm. with anxious kids, that is a piece of it. There's also a very normal, um, the way our brains are developed, pull, um, which is not just compulsive. It's, you know, a a real need to check. Right. um, That makes sense. Like a need to have a cigarette kind of feeling. Yeah. We all struggle with that. Well, lots of us struggle with that. So definitely have to have you back. And I think everybody should check out your classes because there is a lot more knowledge um, that you can access through your online classes. And I will leave links in my show notes and below in the comments for people watching it on YouTube. So thank you for having me. Thanks for everything you're doing. All right. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed Dr. Adams interview. I hope you learned something and took something away that maybe you didn't know before. I'll definitely have him on the show again. So if you do have questions that weren't answered, you can always go to my private Facebook group and post it there. And if you aren't part of my private Facebook group, I will leave a link below so that you can join and I'll, I'll invite him back on some other time. If you want to learn more about Dr. Adam Plutter, I will leave his website in my show notes and you definitely want to check out his website, his resources, and his iParent 101 classes. If you're enjoying my podcast, don't forget to give back to the show by hitting a star on iTunes. The stars are right under the title of the podcast and by hitting a star you give back and show your support for the show if you want to take it a step further feel free to leave a comment that really helps let other parents know if this is an informative podcast for you i hope you're having a wonderful day a wonderful week and don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do and i'll talk to you next tuesday take care bye-bye thank you for listening to at parenting survival podcast For more tips and parenting support, visit AnxiousToddlers.com.